In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We all know that our founder, St. Rosemary, died in uh, 1975, June 26th. He died after stepping out of an elevator. He walked into his, into his office. He looked at an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, where Juan Diego was offering her a rose, and she was happily accepting that rose. And after he looked at that image, he accomplished his mission on earth. He had a heart attack and within a few minutes he was dead. Going up that elevator was like the first step towards heaven, going up towards heaven. They say he had a premonition that he was going to die. He had spoken before his death that he was no longer very useful here. He'd be more effective from heaven. He would repeat the phrase uh, from the psalm, Vultum dum domine requidam, I wish to see your face, O Lord. And that phrase is placed on a tomb of some priests and laymen that passed away on the tombstone. Vultum tum domine requidam, I wish to see your face. And that's the phrase he would repeat often towards the end of his life, and the Lord granted him that, uh, that desire, that wish. After his passing, Don Alvaro had to gear himself up for what was coming. So he wrote a long letter about the first uh, the days just before his passing, and then everything that happened practically minute by minute after his passing, like the funeral and the authorities that came and the Pope who, who, who sent his condolences and so forth. It was a fairly long letter that he wrote with the title, Nuestro Padre en el Cielo, Our Father in Heaven. I remember at the time reading it, it was a beautiful letter with all the details, you know, that he could vividly paint a picture of what was going on. And when news went out throughout the world, people were quite stunned. He wasn't that old, 72 years old, I mean, he wasn't terribly old. And uh, the reaction throughout the world was like they had lost a father. That their own father had died. There were funerals all over the world. People remembered the moment when they heard the news. And why is that? Why did uh, so much uh, effect have on people's lives of his death? Well, because God granted St. Maria, our founder, a deep uh, spiritual paternity. He could embrace everyone that could come in contact with him. And since this paternity was completely supernatural, it was strengthened 
by the fact that he went to heaven. And he could continue to exercise that spiritual paternity by interceding for us. It's like he became somebody to emulate someone with criteria, with prudence, but also somebody with impressive dreams and magnanimity and great apostolic drive and zeal. It's as though people around him would like flourish. He brought out the best out of people. They would be able to realize their dreams. He was, you could say that, he was like the former of saints. Like he formed saints that came in contact with him. That is, he provoked great, great desires in others. He opened up horizons. One of the young men who met him in the 1930s during the Civil War, Pedro Casiano, became an architect and eventually was ordained a priest. He said that the one phrase that stayed in his mind that, that he never forgot from St. Rosemaria was, he had said, dream and your dreams will fall short. Dream. You know, to, to be told to dream. What would you dream about if you were invited? Just dream. Just like think big. Think big. Don't stay in your little garden there, you know, fixing little things and getting the little beetles out of the way. Which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But he invited people to think big. And, well, for example, Pope John Paul II at his canonization quoted at the opening of the homily of the canonization quoted from St. Paul who said in his letter to the Romans all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. See, the Spirit of God leads you to become a son or daughter of God. And so the Pope said these words of the Apostle Paul which we have just heard help us to understand better the significant message of today's canonization of St. Josiah Escrivá de Balaguer. With docility, he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit, convinced that only in this way can one fully accomplish God's will. He let himself be led by God's Spirit, but he led others to be led by God's Spirit. He opened those horizons to many people. And all that started when he was still a fairly young priest in 1928. He was doing his priestly duties. He was a young, young man, and, well, a young priest. But he knew that God wanted something of him. He didn't know what it was, you know. And our father says that it was not like a personal discovery. It was when he describes him founding Opus Dei, he describes it as an illumination. Or let's say, a clear idea of his mission. That how he had to change. And how he could now strive energetically for holiness. You know, somebody asked me recently, Hey, Father, what motivated Rosemaria to found Opus Dei? Like, why did he do that? What was he trying to do? 
I said, uh, what motivated him? What did he... Well, I don't think he, he was motivated. I think he just, as he described himself, it was just the illumination that he received. He wasn't motivated to do anything. In fact, he would have preferred not to have gotten involved in this. Let somebody else that's more capable take care of this. I don't want to do this. But he describes this. He said, I received, on October, October 2nd, 1928, I received the illumination about the entire work. He says it, it, uh, it involved a, a clear general idea of his mission. He didn't have all the details yet. But now something had come into the world that it allows us now really to live by faith and to give really great importance to earthly things, but in a way that we could dream about their value, their, their greatness, as a means that we must sanctify on the way to God. To take that elevator and go up to God. To be led by the Spirit of God. You know, St. Therese of Lisieux, she was from Lisieux. In those days, you couldn't just get on a highway and go places. It, it was like a big deal to travel to another city. They didn't have highways and stuff. They had trains, I guess. But anyway, she went to Paris. I don't know what year it was. And she was still fairly young. And she was super excited about going to Paris. Because when she went to Paris, she saw a thing that she'd never seen before. She saw buildings with elevators. <laughs> she said, wow. So you can go from first floor to the seventh floor, or eighth floor, or whatever, and just like bang, you just get in the door, and whoop, you're up. You, know, you don't have to trudge up these stairs, you know. <laughs> and I never realized that you know, elevators are a pretty modern thing. And then she would see that image of going up all those floors so quickly. She said, "When I ever get discouraged, I say, stop, get into the elevator, divine filiation, and go up to God. <laughs> go up." be led by the Spirit. And that, she was really led by God to do that. Just like a, an elevator is led by whatever they, however elevators work, I don't know. But, uh, and that that's, could, could be said also about St. Josephia. He suddenly grasped that sanctity was within the reach of anyone, anyone who freely wanted to let themselves be led up to God. And so that moment on October 2nd was a major, major reframing of his life. Suddenly, the time that he had spent in Madrid, his studies, his family, uh, his political situation that he was in, the, the, his health, now everything was seen through a new lens. Because, you know, we think our life is made up of little things. We have to get on the TTC. We have to... We have professional engagements, uh, we have family things, all these small little earthly realities. We have to do the dishes. Uh, mm -hmm. But now all that small stuff or bigger stuff can all suddenly be holy and full of God, he said, if we are led by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pope John Paul II said at his canonization, he said, this teaching of his is still timely and even urgent today in virtue of the baptism that incorporates him to Christ the believer is called to establish 
with the Lord an uninterrupted and vital relationship. He is called to be holy and to collaborate in the salvation of humanity. The believer is called to go up that elevator. And this was sometimes later expressed in a famous expression that I'm sure you've heard before that the Saint, that Second Vatican Council described as the universal call to sanctity. I'm not actually sure if St. Rosemary used that exact expression. You know, when you say the universal call to sanctity, it's like, okay, yeah, it's true. Everybody is called to sanctity. But it has a certain kind of overly academic sound to it. But I mean, it's true. It's not that it's not true. <laughs> so, you know, the Second Vatican Council <laughs> emphasized that everybody is called to sanctity. But St. Rosemary had a way, a very appealing way of making it clear that not just priests, not just religious are called to sanctity. Not this, like just the professionals of sanctity are called, but everybody. And uh, you may have been there this past Saturday when the Auxiliary Bishop of Toronto, Bishop Robert Kassoun, celebrated a Mass of St. Osmaria. And he said that, you know, when I was growing up, he was saying, <laughs> the idea of sanctity, oh, that was something limited to priests uh, and, uh, you know, religious but it was not something intended for lay people. He said, he remembers understanding when he was a lay person that the lay people have to pray, obey, and pay. You know? <laughs> That's what the lay people are for. It's a good thing you pray, you obey, and pay. But the other people there, the, you know, the priests and so forth, they're, they're the ones who really do the hard lifting, right? Just pray, just obey, and pray. That's all you got to do. People said, okay, Father, okay, we'll do that. And so, St. Rosemary received this illumination about the universal call to sanctity, that no, 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 sanctity, being holy, being able to be on the altars was a reachable goal. And we could do it without abandoning all those daily ob obligations that we all have. We don't have to, I don't know, say vows or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, St. Josephine was a secular priest. He was a diocesan priest. And it's interesting that, that he had these, these kind of uh, inklings. You know, they say in Spanish, they say baruntos, baruntos. I had no idea what baruntos were, but baruntos means like intuitions or yeah, inklings that God wanted something of him when he was a young man, a young student. He didn't know what it was. But he thought that, well, if I, if I become a priest, I'll be more available to do whatever that thing is that God wants for me. It's interesting that he thought by being a, a priest, he'd be more available. Today, you become a priest, and that's exactly the opposite. You are no longer available at all. Because you gotta, you're stuck. The bishop tells you, go there. No, don't go there. Don't go. Just stay there. You know, he tells you whatever you have to do. You're stuck. But St. Josemaria at that time, because of the role of the priest and so forth, especially the secular priest, he really understood that this would make him more available. In many ways, it's true. You know, priests, they have a task of running parishes, they have to administer the, the sacraments, and they have to keep the records, and who's been baptized, who's been married, all that stuff. You know? It takes time. You've got to stay at home and, you know, do all that stuff. But 
Jose Maria, he attracted a lot of young people around him. And that's where he began to open horizons. He would do spiritual direction with them. You know, that's where he started making people dream about what God was really calling them to. He would preach retreats. Uh, actually, bishops asked him to, retreat, uh, to preach retreats. This was normally the purview of, of religious, doing spiritual direction, preaching re retreats. No, but no secular priest ever did that. But he kept, you know, this is one thing we can think, you know, that he kept opening these horizons. He had the common duties of other priests, but he was particularly uh, charismatic. And you could say one of the things that characterized him was uh, his good humor. He said at that time, this is now the 1930s or so, he said, I had nothing but my youth, God's grace, and my good sense of humor. That's all I had. So that means he had, you know, he said, I had my youth. Well, okay, thanks. You know, you have your youth. I mean, that, that's just what you have. Okay. You have God's grace. Okay, that's given to you. But all he had was good humor. And he felt that God gave him that good humor. It was like a good seedbed in which he could plant the, this supernatural seed, this specific plant that would grow into well a lush and fruitful a fruitful plant that would give many many fruit and if you look you know many of the pictures of him back then he's laughing he's you know people around him ha oh, they're laughing you know they're they're in a, they're in a get together you know and he's smiling mm -hmm. and none of this was staged it was just that's the way he was and it's part of our life, right, to be men and women of good humor, that we know how to laugh and that we do so often despite the challenges that we have to face. And we have challenges. We have hard work. We have setbacks. We have work to do. Uh, the temptations uh, that are there to get us irritated are, you know, numerous. They're numerous. So maybe, you know, tonight is something we can ask St. Josemaria. Look, Father, give me some... Please, give me some good humor, okay? Like, please, you know, I need to not take myself so seriously, you know? Like, I think the most important thing, when I think, and this is right because I read this, and, and we, like, we, we get very serious. And maybe you can help us keep that good humor. This could be like a, a specialized trait that's part of our life. Because when we do that, we exercise a kind of a superpower, you know, like all the all the superheroes, you know, each one has uh, special powers. You know, I don't know, Superman, he can, I don't know what he can do, but he can look with, you know, you know when he looks through objects and stuff like that. I don't know, what, what do you call that? You know, he can zoom, zoom in, or uh, Spider-Man can swing around, and he's, you know, all the things they can do. They're superpowers. That's what they're supposed to do. And our superpower is not this absolute, you know, brilliant intelligence, right? or this intense ability to concentrate, or this logistical capacity to organize the home perfectly. Well, if you can, that's good, but <laughs> it's a good thing. But our superpower has to be, and we ask St. Rosemary to give us this good humor. To be a master 
of good humor. You know, I, I saw recently a little video that was done of an interview with an English priest, but who has been in Italy for many years now, a priest of the work, his name is Robin Weatherhill. And this was in, I don't even know what this was, like an interview in one of these Italian programs. And uh, he, he had been, been born in England. His father during the war married a, a Neapolitan woman, an Italian woman. And so he'd been born in England, but then he moved for fairly early in life to Italy. And that's where he met Dobuste. So most of his life he's lived in, in Italy. And uh, you know, he remembers having the opportunity to meet St. Josemaria. He, first he met members of Opus Dei, and then he met St. Josemaria, but he was all, you know, all nervous. They said, okay, now you can meet the Father. You can meet the Father. Okay, so, oh, he's coming. Okay, now you can meet him. And so he like elegantly reached out his hand to shake his hand, as you're supposed to do like in England, I guess. And St. Josemaria said, forget this. Come on, give me a hug, eh? Come on. No? And let's go and have a snack. Look, let's go and have a snack. And then he pulled out one of these, I don't know what they're called, these like um, pastries. And he said, here, and boom, he put it right in his mouth. You know? <laughs> and he was there stuck with this pastry hanging out of his mouth, you know. And, um, and he was immediately, you know, disarmed by him, right? And he would laugh. And, and then, of course, he decided uh, to live apostolic celibacy as a numerary. And he had to go and explain this to his father. I don't know if he had to go back to England or what exactly, but his father was not happy. His father had planned other plans for him. So somehow, his father was this kind of serious military man, you know, and uh, he recounts this. And in the recounting of it, I don't know why they did this, but there's, you know, when you see a kind of like Dr. Phil, you know, they have all these people around, you know, watching, and, and, you, and they have the interviewer asking it. Every time he made a statement, the people would clap, they would start clapping. You know, it was like, probably they'd said applause, you know, now, now applause. And he would start applauding, they would start applauding. He's going, what's, what's going on here, you know? But, um, but he recounts how his father was very serious, military type, and he was, not, he was against his vocation, and somehow they organized it that he could meet uh, St. Josemaria. And uh, he was going there, and same thing. He reaches out his hand to shake his hand properly, like a man, and St. Rosemary said, forget that, come on, let's, let's have a big hug. And he held on to him, you know. And he said, come on, squeeze, you know. <laughs> and uh, and he's, this guy, Robin Weather, recounts that's the first time he saw his father break down, you know. And he, he began to weep, you know. And his father said, okay, oh, thank, you, thank you very much, uh, <laughs> sir, uh, whatever, you know. And then he wanted to leave, but he couldn't stop bawling. He was bawling, you know. And he was touched by the, just the human, oh, the charism that he had. He was very charismatic. But above all, he had this, uh, this good humor. And you and I, if we keep this good humor for supernatural reasons, really with a desire to reflect our faith and our confidence in God, that too will be like a seedbed around it. People will cry, literally. <laughs> it's so pleasant to be with somebody who knows how to have good humor. Doesn't mean you have to know the best jokes, but you know, good humor. Do I have good humor? Do I have to force myself to be cheerful? There are different things that make us cheerful. Light things, superficial things. There are things that happen that don't depend on us. You know, our 
our soccer team wins, or we get good weather, we go on a beautiful excursion, we have some nice wine, it makes us cheerful, good drink. And uh, of course, when we have those things, we can give thanks to God. These are good things. But it's normal to be cheerful when we have a nice bottle of wine. But we must also understand that cheerfulness is also a choice that depends on our greater vision. So that even when we don't have that Chardonnay, and all we have is a warm glass of water <laughs> in, a, in a greasy glass, or just tepid milk. You know. We can still be. This is great milk. This is. This is. I wonder what year this milk is. You know. But uh, <laughs> we have to have a greater vision beyond the immediate. And I invite you to do that today. The rest, you may be tired. You may be. Uh, I don't know. You have to go home. You have to deal with something that's challenging. It's good. It's good. It's challenging. I want to show you, Lord, that I love you despite these challenges. Those are the places that the Lord is calling you and me. Because Maria didn't have much power, he didn't have much strength, but he did have the power of good humor. And he would have had many reasons to be cynical, to be even pessimistic. Robin Weatherhill, in that, in that interview, he recounts that what really pained him was the situation of the church. Post-conciliar crisis, all these people leaving the church, priests abandoning, this, all this made him... It just pained him a lot when he saw all that. People rejecting the faith and not coming to Mass and stuff. Uh, but he was not a pessimist. Even before that, his, his own country had entered into a bloody civil war. He faced a lot of opposition. He was misunderstood. He was slandered. He had physical pain. He had diabetes. Though it's true, God granted him a swift death. That's true. But at the same time, it was very supernatural and he had no time to complain. Indeed, there are many things that could make us unhappy. Some depend on us, others are outside factors. So, yeah, let us ask St. Josemaria, we can ask him that specifically, right? That we rejoice as. As the Pope has said in that encyclical, Gaudete et exultate, you know, rejoice. That we not go around with a funeral face. Mm-hmm. And this is, well, it's a specific thing we can ask St. Josemaria. And it's a kind of like a, a moment of conversion that we can ask uh, the Lord to grant us. And if we do so with faith, certainly the Lord will give it to us. With the help of our Blessed Mother. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you communicated to me in this time of prayer. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father, Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.